You probably figured you were going to be about, well, dead before the idea of flying cars ever came to fruition. I mean, we've been waiting for this for decades, decades and decades and generations. It was always this idea that was usually from movies or from science fiction pictures or whatever. There was always this thought of flying cars, and yet it never happened. It never happened. It never happened. And so, as I say, you kind of figured, well, someday they may. But I'll be long dead before that ever comes to be. Well, unless you're planning on going really soon, it sounds like they may actually beat you to your grave because a company called Terrafugia, and I don't know if I pronounced that right, or Terrafugia, I'm not really sure. Uh, it means basically uh, fleeing Earth. Fugia, fleeing in Portuguese, I believe, and Terra Earth. So it's fleeing Earth. Builds is now building flying cars. Prototypes, they're still working on them, but they are building flying cars, experimental stuff with the folding wings and, you know, you can park it in your garage and drive out and take off. It is, um, it is really, really cool. And this week, why we're talking about it today is because this week it got an exemption from the Federal Aviation Administration in the United States to be considered to be called a light aircraft. So it is now, you have this car that is now being considered an airplane for all intents and purposes. This is, it would seem anyway, to be a large step towards the realization of the dream or the thought that someday down the road we are going to see cars, you know, your next door neighbor drives out of his driveway, pulls onto the street, and and it's like back to the future. They just take off and go. Maybe not in a DeLorean, but you get my drift. Dick Napinski is with the Experimental Aircraft Association in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. He joins me now to discuss this. Dick, thanks for doing this tonight. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, So as I said, we have been in our minds, in our movies, in our pop culture, been waiting for the advent of the flying car forever. Is this actually now, like it sounds, beginning to get closer for real? reality, Scott, when you take a look at how far it's come, ever since the Wright brothers, man started flying back in the early 1900s, people thought, can we put a car and an aircraft together to have the best of both? Well, the problem was usually because of the different engineering uh, needed that you had a very bad car and a very bad airplane. <laughs> and uh, so, but the folks at Terrafusia really have made a major step, and there are some other companies working on it right now to get past the engineering and some of the regulatory hurdles and and move forward and saying maybe that stuff of science fiction 50 years ago is not so much science fiction. Maybe it's something that can happen. So is is this news from this week that the FAA has given an exemption, is this then a big deal? It it sounds like it's a big step, is it? It it certainly is. It's one more step. Um, The folks with Terrafusia have been working for years. We've had them at our big show in Oshkosh. Some of your listeners may be familiar with each year we bring together 500,000 people and 10,000 airplanes for a week here in Oshkosh. And uh, they have been here ever since they started the concept about a decade ago. And working through some of the engineering problems, some of the regulatory problems that they had to work through. And two years ago, they had their prototype make a flight at Oshkosh to show us that the concept could work. But they continue to work forward and... um, it may not be something that will be in every garage yet, but it's something that could happen very soon. So when you say they were able to do a, a test flight, what are the requirements? So if they were able to do a test flight there, why could they not just 
fly around anywhere right now. What's the difference in licensing, or what is what does this mean? What just happened? Well, one of the interesting things is that uh, when you build an airplane and a car at the same time, you have to abide by the rules of the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration here in the U.S., as well as the regulations for creating cars, which means you need all the safety equipment that you need in cars, uh, bumpers and seat belts and turn signals and everything else that goes in it. Plus, you need to meet the standards of aircraft. And that's a daunting task. Uh, You can build a prototype under the experimental rule here in the U.S. You can create something that is airworthy and fly it, but to put it into production, to have the FAA say, it is something that meets the standards, you can begin to produce them uh, one after another, is a major step forward. It's one of the three hurdles that you really have to figure out for a flying car to be successful. And those hurdles would be, first of all, the engineering that would make it happen, uh, passing the regulatory muster that the government would say, okay, you can do this. And finally, the big one is always customer acceptance. The consumer says, that's something I want. There's a demand for it. And, you know, as through the years, the past 30 years have shown, everything from personal computers to microwave ovens to smartphones have become something where eventually people say, I want that, I need that, I need that to be part of my life. You talked about the the fact that Terrafugia is is doing this as a company. How many, when you have your gatherings or when you talk to people, how many just hobbyists are out there trying to work on something for themselves? Or, or are there many who do this? Uh, there are a handful of them. Uh, there are some. Uh, Terrafugia certainly has uh, been very much in the lead at the at the point of that. Uh, you have companies such as Maverick who have been working on it. Uh, the Molar Skycar has been working on it probably for the better part of 30 years. And sometimes those companies run a little bit short of financing. Sometimes uh, the people involved are such a, a one- or two-person operation that if you lose one of those people, then you lose a lot of the heart and the soul of the company. But really, the flying car is not a new concept. Uh, Sixty years ago, uh, up until this point, was probably the most successful one. It was called the Aero Car. And we have the prototype in our museum in Oshkosh. And it was a car that had wings that folded out and then folded back and carried on a small trailer behind you. And it had all the things you needed for a car. It was not a great airplane, and it was not a great car. But it was built. There were about 12 of them built at one point, And there are still a couple of them flying here in North America. So it's a, it's a concept that's come along, but never really something that's grabbed the imagination and suddenly been marketable to a widespread audience. Probably... I don't know how long it is now, six, seven years ago, Apple came out with their iPad, with the first tablet, and within, I don't know, how Dick, how, a year, everybody had a tablet out. I mean, it was the technology got out there. It was a huge leap forward, a quantum leap forward, but almost instantly every other company had one. Will it be the same with a flying car? Once the first one is actually marketable and on an assembly line, will there be now 20 different kinds? Well, the big difference is, much like um, an iPad or much like uh, uh, back when the VCRs came out or DVD players or anything like that, you'll have the early adapters, uh, the people who want one because it's the cool thing to have. The big difference is between an iPad and a flying car is probably about $199,500. Um, <laughs> That's one thing. Yeah, between the $500 iPad and, let's say, um, anywhere from 100000 to $200,000 to pay for a flying car. And um, 
there are still regulatory hurdles. You buy the iPad, okay, you're fine. You can set it up. You can start to use it. Uh, you still have some regulations. For instance, can you take off from the street in front of your house, or do you have to drive to the airport first? Uh, do you get your license from the Transport Canada or the FAA, or do you get your pilot's license from the Division of Motor Vehicles? Uh, again, all of those things have to be figured out before you really can start to say, this will be consumer accepted. And if it does become something, it has to bring that price point down. Uh, not a lot of us are going to pay $200,000 for a car, even if it flies. And so you have to have that understanding, and the marketplace will determine whether it's a minor success or a major success. Would you anticipate from what you've seen to drive one of these? Will it take a massive amount of training, or, or are they rather simplistic so that the average person in reasonable time could figure it out? You know, that's one of the beauties of it, because uh, part of the new rules in the last 10 years in the U.S. are for light sport aircraft and sport pilots which get the basic flight training, but instead of 40 hours of flight training for a private pilot license here in the U.S., it would take 20 hours. You take the first 20 hours of pilot training, and since you won't be flying at night, you won't be flying in the clouds and need instruments, um, you can take the first basic 20 hours and then have your license, and the airplanes are designed to be used with this, lower-end recreational-type uh, pilot's license. So um, you can't use it commercially. You can only fly it in daylight. You can't go over 110 miles an hour in the air. And so, you know, it's really adapted that it is a simple thing to do. It's like learning to operate any piece of machinery, whether it's an automobile, a motorcycle, a powerboat, um, an all-terrain vehicle, whatever it happens to be. It's a, it's a matter of practice, experience, and training that makes it all possible. I'll tell you, though, Dick, the one thing about this that just, I can't shake the thought of this, and I I said it at the top of the hour when I was telling that you were going to be on here, we drive around and have the daunting task of dealing with so many crappy drivers already who have lines to stay in, speed limits to stick to, red lights to tell them when to stop and go. Now you throw a whole bunch of people up in the sky with none of that, and to me it seems like it will just be bedlam. Uh, you know, it's easy to imagine that, um, and you hate to say that some people may self-select either in or out of something like that. Uh, there are people who drive that have an, an innate fear of flying, mm. and they simply will not do it. Um, there are those who won't want to take the training, nor in the U.S., for instance, every two years you have to take recurrent training and make sure that you haven't picked up any bad habits. Well, you could actually see, uh, imagine if you would, drivers having to go back to the Division of Motor Vehicles every two years and taking their road test again. Well, in the U.S., that's what you have to do as a pilot to make sure you don't pick up those bad habits. So hopefully that will become part of it. Um, I think we're a long way away from the old cartoon, The Jetsons, where you're (laughs) zipping around through the skies. Uh, But you might see something, somebody at your local airport, who has the wherewithal, or let's say two or three people combine their resources to buy one of these and say, let's go 100 miles away to go visit our friends or have lunch and, and take this instead of driving down the highway. I think all of us ultimately think, like, wouldn't it be cool to avoid all the traffic by taking off and flying over it and going someplace, folding up the wings, and then driving to our destination after we land? That's the ultimate dream. Yeah. 
And if you can make that dream become reality, and some people start, well, who knows? Yeah, that that is that. I mean, honestly, for us up here, I mean, to be able to go up to the cottage or to, to for where we are located here, if you could somehow fly over Toronto instead of getting stuck in rush hour traffic through the city, honestly, I mean, it's a nightmare. I don't know how if you know it at all, but I mean, it's just a horrible drive. If you could actually do that. Man, that would be that would be the dream. Now, just we only have a couple minutes, but to do that though, if we were heading up to the cottage with some of these prototypes, how do th- how much room do they need? Because you would go up north, there wouldn't necessarily be well, you might have runways, but I mean, do you do you just land on the street? Or how, how much room do they need to actually operate to take off and to land? Uh, that's the beautiful thing. You don't need a tremendous amount. Uh, this as an aircraft, a light sport aircraft could probably take off in 2,000 feet to 2,500 feet, and that's probably with a full fuel load and um, what's called maximum gross weight. And so if you're fully loaded, you could probably still take off uh, in that kind of distance hmm. because that's what the aircraft are designed for. When it made its demonstration here in Oshkosh, it was off the ground well within 2,000 feet. We have an 8,000-foot runway. It only used about a quarter of it before it was off the ground. So as long as you had a clear country road and no uh, no poor person, uh, I don't know, driving a tractor or something who had no idea you're about to descend upon them, you'd be okay. I think you'd be okay. The nice thing is you could drive to the local airport, then fold up the wings and drive the ten That's, yeah, miles yeah. or so to get there. That's true. You don't have to land on the road. That's. Um, it, it, I mean, the idea is so enticing, and I mean, obviously, the cost is uh, is a bit of a deterrent for those of us who don't just have, as you say, a couple hundred thousand bucks to throw around, but it just, you're right, it's so enticing an idea to just be able to take off and go and land somewhere and cut so much time out of your commute. It would be, and it's, it's really uh, the extension of the ultimate freedom where mm. those of us who fly enjoy that with aircraft, but we're boxed in by the facilities, by the aircraft themselves, that we just can't drive down the street to our house. This would be the next step of that, combining that. Again, engineering, regulatory, and marketplace are the three big hurdles that any manufacturer has to clear. Oh, and you know what? I mean, I'm not big on this stuff, but let's be honest. The ultimate status symbol, if you pull one of these out of your driveway on your street and suddenly flap out the wings and start to take off, nobody is not noticing you. (laughs) That's indeed. You'll get a lot of people pointing, some laughing, and a bunch of them going, oh, I wish I had one of those. I think a lot of them saying, I wish I had one of those. Uh, Dick Dupinski from the Experimental Aircraft Association in the States. Thanks so much for doing this tonight. Really appreciate it. Pleasure. Thank you so much. Uh, that is again. He, I mean, he is bang on right. The idea of that freedom of being able to just take off and go, no roads, no. I mean, think about for a second. Think about how this would, how this could work for you if you had, if you're a commuter to Toronto. Every morning you're stuck in that bloody endless traffic jam the entire way, or you have to take the GO train. Now, down at the Toronto Island Airport, they designate one runway, let's say, for these flying cars once they get going. And you just take off, you drive, you fly over Toronto, you fly over the traffic, you land, you drive to work, you park, whatever. It, uh, you know, it's probably a bad example because you still have to find parking in Toronto and that'll take just as much time and cost you double the cost of the plane in about a week. Nonetheless, the concept is so enticing to be able to do that. I, I... I don't ever actually see the day when I will be able to afford one of those. But wow, dare to dream. If, if in my lifetime those things become a reality, dare to dream.
find 10 people and go in on one with them. And then fight over who gets it on the good weekends. On the statutory holidays. More reason we need more statutory holidays just to use our future flying cars. Quick break. Back after this on the Scott Radley Show.